Hey everybody, welcome again to F This Movie, the official podcast of FThisMovie.com, movie love for movie lovers. My name is Patrick Bromley, and I'm semi-excited for this week's show because I'm talking about Pitch Perfect with the only man qualified to discuss Pitch Perfect, the always aqua, aqua, aqua amazing, aqua amazing, uh, forget it, uh, Rob DiCristino. Hi, Rob. That's what you get for giving me the only semi-excited in the history of F- this movie. Yo, Bert, Patrick. Yo, Bert. Yo, Aqua Bert. I said Aqua Amazing first, <laughs> which is a very different movie, I think. I'm not bad underwater either. It's fine. <laughs> Rob, how are you doing with all this uh, quarantine stuff? Patrick, it's the end of the world. Um, we were just discussing how hard it is to get groceries. Uh, I hope everybody is, sincerely, hope everybody is hanging in there and um it's 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 getting scary it's getting scary out there uh my school year was more or less just ended <laughs> more or less the 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 district has assumed that things are going to be pretty bad for a while so i'll be doing online teaching for the next few months that's fun but uh just hopefully everybody's family staying safe and staying at home and just letting this thing run its course so um doing okay how are you uh, you know, I'm the same. It's a good thing uh, we have movies to keep uh, keep us occupied. Uh, That's true. If I was like a super outdoorsy type, maybe this would be affecting me more. But I, I'm pretty much an indoor type person as it is. So it's like, what? I have to stay home and watch movies? Okay. Not to make light of it, obviously. I'm pretty freaked out and uh, concerned. Because, yeah, our, I was just saying to you before we started recording my... Uh, I teach at a community college and my school year has gone online, not just for the remainder of this semester, but through the summer as well. Um, so this is not ending anytime soon. Uh, we are trying to maintain some semblance of normalcy by still putting out a weekly podcast. Yeah. And, you know, we both have kids and, and that, that part of it is scary too. And just making sure that they have a routine. I think we're, we're both the same, you know, you, you guys are teachers. I'm a teacher. We're used to kind of that home time, that downtime in the summer. I've seen a lot of that like online about like, oh, introverts have it easier and stuff like that. And I mean, to an extent, but obviously we have friends and family who are, you know, in varying degrees of, of chaotic, uh, chaotic situations and stuff. And yeah. it is nice to the focus on the movie. So let's do that and try to keep everybody's minds off of the chaos. Well, the good news is the movie we're focusing on this week is pitch perfect in more ways than one. That is uh, that's the good news. But before we talk about pitch perfect, Rob, have you seen anything good lately? Well, I, I have, I've seen one incredible movie and two not so incredible movies, but I should preface this by saying, uh, one, maybe not preface this, but introduce this by saying that, uh, as part of our kind of lockdown, uh, uh, coping mechanisms, uh, Adam and I, and, and, and you were happy to join us. I hope, um, we did a little bit of a movie watch, a share watch. Obviously I'm in Philly, you guys are in Chicago, but Adam had this idea, Hey, let's pick a couple movies and watch them together, you know? Um, so the other night I got to finally see Malice for the first time, and you joined uh, Adam and I for a little little text along watch. Yeah, um, I, I obviously had been hearing about how great Malice is, and I, it did not disappoint. Uh, I really, really loved it. Um, I, I had said to Adam we were talking about what topics to kind of do for these little watch alongs that we're doing, and the one I said to Adam was when it was my turn to pick. I was like, let's do like like sexy '90s thrillers, and like the first thing he said was Malice. Like we have to watch Malice. I had never seen it. Um, I, I don't really even know what to say about it. It's incredible. You've got you've got Pullman, you've got Kidman, you've got Baldwin. They're all top of their game. Uh, it's 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 just it's just sexy. My my Kino Blu-ray came in today. We were sort of 
joking a little bit about how it's still possible to get Blu-rays in the mail and not groceries. <laughs> uh, but but my uh, my Kino Blu-ray came today, so because I was all excited, I ordered it basically while we were watching it. Um, and Malice is awesome. Uh, I know after this movie, uh, listeners don't need to know that because we, as a site, have been singing its praises for a while. But um, did you have a good time watching Malice with us? Oh yeah, of course I did. Uh, I was excited because I forgot until we started watching it and the credits came on that it is co-written by Aaron Sorkin. And I know you're a huge Aaron Sorkin fan. So that was exciting. I am. And Adam joked, I think you guys both joked at the time where you can, you can, you can pinpoint the exact moment that it becomes Aaron Sorkin script because Alec Baldwin goes on this rant about his God complex. And it's like, Oh yeah, yeah, that's Alan Sor- uh, Aaron Sorkin. Yeah. You can also, ta- you can also tell it's Aaron Sorkin because uh, I think it's out. Al- who's, who's, who's Jed in that? Is it the Alec Baldwin character is Jed? Correct. One of the characters is Jed, and that's of course the name of the president on the West Wing. So I was like, "Oh, that's a that's a that's an Aaron Sorkin thing." But um, <laughs> uh, uh, all the things I can say about Malice have been said by smarter people than me. But um, what I what I really loved was uh, the way Malice compared with our second feature because uh, Adam and I kept going. You didn't join us for final analysis, but uh, Adam and I went on to watch Final Analysis, which is which is no Malice. Let me tell you that <laughs> we, we thought for sure. Richard Gere, Kim Basinger, Eric Roberts, Uma Thurman. Where it's like, this is, this is, there's no, you know, there's no doubt about it. This is going to be a home run. And boy, by the last, probably the last hour of final analysis, Adam and I were just texting each other like gifts of like people like dying. And at one point, he sent me a picture of him just laying on the floor because he'd given up on the movie. Like it was just so colossally boring. And you had mentioned you had seen final analysis before. You don't remember anything about it. I don't. It's been so long that no, I don't remember it at all. The one thing to remember, the the the, the, the key word to remember about final analysis is the term pathological intoxication. Oh, uh, because it's said two or three hundred times over the course of the movie. <laughs> Kim Basinger's character apparently cannot be held responsible. It's sort of this like vertigo kind of Hitchcockian thriller thing. It doesn't really matter. I'm not even getting into the plot because it's meaningless. But. Um, Gear is a psychologist, and Basinger is becomes sort of his patient and sexy psychology kind of sort of, but um, Uma Thurman is her sister and uh, Basinger uh, allegedly suffers from a, a form of uh, uh, alcohol aversion called pathological intoxication where more or less she can't be held responsible for things that she does because of this condition. And basically it's like two thirds of the script is this phrase. So um, yay on malice, nay on final analysis by the last 10 minutes. It was just like looking into it was like 2001, like Jupiter beyond the infinite. We were just looking into, <laughs> into space and time, just waiting for the movie to be over. Adam and I have been joking for the last week about like just the last couple of days about just like there, there were no movies before final analysis. There are no movies after final analysis. <laughs> it is the only thing that exists. I remember there being a lighthouse. There is a lighthouse. There is a lighthouse. There is a matte painting and there is a lighthouse. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's my big memory of final <clears throat> analysis. I got nothing else. You're, you're fine. Um, the only other thing I'll mention, uh, which I, I here's, and, and this will be maybe kind of interesting. Um, you know, I do this red boxing column, right? And I've talked a lot over the years now that I've been writing this column about what it, what it means to be a red boxing movie. You know, like we, we're all fans of B movies. We're fans of low budget things. We're fans of indie things. And the goal with red boxing is never to be making fun of the movies. Like it's, it's like you want to find that diamond in the rough. You want to find that thing that's interesting about this direct-to-video movie or this low budget movie or whatever it is. Um, I 
found a movie this week that I was going to write a red boxing column on and actually realized that there was just nothing to say about it. And oh. that, is, that is Jonathan Newman's uh, film, The Adventurer, The Curse of the Midas Box. Are you familiar with The Adventurer? <laughs> I don't know if I am. First of all, possibly the worst title. Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> It's called The Adventurer, The Curse of the Midas Box. <laughs> because there's really? going to be more adventurer movies. Right. Well, no, well, see, you joke, but that's what they intended. The of end of course. this movie, the end of this movie sets up a sequel. He's um, an adventurer. Michael yeah, Sheen it, is in it, Lena Headey. Michael Sheen is the titular adventurer. Patrick. Oh, he is. Oh, okay. He, oh, he, oh, look at him. Look at that smug Michael Sheen face. <laughs> He's a course adventurer. Yeah, no. Um is this Based a prequel a to Doolittle? <laughs> Looks like it could be. <laughs> yeah, it uh, Sam Neill plays the literal mustache twirling sort of billionaire hotelier victim, uh, victim villain. Uh, Michael Sheen is kind of this sort of pseudo Indiana Jones, pseudo um, uh, Sherlock Holmes kind of. He's not really the hero of the movie, even though he's called the adventurer. Uh, he's kind of the one who facilitates the the adventure for this younger uh, younger guy who, um, his name is Mariah. Uh, I remember his first name was Mariah thinking that that was interesting that his name was Mariah, Mariah Mundy, um, who's sort of the lead young character. And it's, it's, it's a movie that the only note I took on it, um, as I was desperately trying to come up with something to say about it was that it does absolutely nothing wrong and absolutely nothing right, which is almost kind of a miracle. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's almost kind of this weird alchemical, like amazing movie where like, there's nothing technically wrong with it. Like it's an adventure movie. It does things adventure movies should do. There's romance and drama and action, but like none of it lands, like literally none of it lands the way it's supposed to. It's not necessarily poorly acted, but the characters are sort of so bland that you don't care. You know, the costumes are fine, but they're also, they also look like they've been sitting in the back of a warehouse at Columbia Pictures for 45 years. Like, we don't necessarily feel any one way or the other about it. It's just nothing. Um, I think it, I, I read that it grossed, I don't even know how wide of a theatrical release it got, but I think it grossed like $6,000 or something like that. It was something ridiculous. So um, I don't want to beat up on it because... Hey, if you like the adventure, then go adventure. But um, it was one of the. This has only happened like two or three times over the course of Red Boxing, where I've I've rented a movie and been like, I got nothing to say. I got nothing. I got nothing I can do with this. So um, I don't know if that's a if that's a recommendation. Um, do with that what you will. IMDb, IMDb claims this claims movie came out in 2013. So why is it at a Red Box now? I have no idea. <laughs> Is it one of those things where like Doolittle is out, so they were like, "Well, let's put this back at the Red Box." Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. Um, I don't know why it was there. I saw it. It was either that or the. Um, I was looking at John Henry, uh, starring Terry Crews. I almost got that. I might get that next. That might be a feature, Red Box and Column. But um, yeah, I have no idea. I have no idea why it was there. It was just one of those things. I feel like um, you might need to practice social distancing from the Red Box. From the Red Box, yeah, it's entirely possible. Um, it doesn't usually let me down, but in this case... It showed you uh, Holly slept over, and you hated that movie. I hated that movie. Yeah, it's 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 over, too, right now. Um, <laughs> it was fun to hear you and Erica talk about that, by the way, because it makes me feel a little less crazy when somebody has that same thought. About oh, yeah. Movie. Yeah, no, Holly slept over is pretty terrible. But, but, but at the same time, Holly slept over, there's stuff to talk about. 
Right. It's no Curse of the Midas box. It's no Curse of the Midas box. Um, the, the, I think the opening narration, you could probably watch the trailer. The opening narration is literally like, once legend told of a box. I'm out. I, <laughs> just, like, no, I am out. <laughs> um, but that's all I got. Just, uh, just, just uh, one home run and two... Two ground outs. All right. Well, you got Malice on Blu-ray now, so you can just watch it every night. That's all that matters. <laughs> uh, Erica and I have been taking advantage still of the Amazon Prime Cinema at Home, or I don't know what the hell they're calling it, but they've been showing new and recent theatrical releases on Amazon Prime now uh, for a higher rental fee, but we figure, well, if we're... Uh, figuring in the cost that it would take the two of us to go see a movie. Plus if we bought concessions, plus if we had to pay a babysitter, we're actually saving a bunch of money by watching these movies at home. Totally. So, uh, we saw, what do we see? Oh, uh, the way back, the new Gavin O'Connor sports drama starring Ben Affleck, uh, which was the movie that had come out the, the weekend you were in town for F this movie fest in the past, we've gone to see a movie together that Friday night. And the only new release that weekend was the way back. And it was kind of like, <laughs> I don't know if we all want to go see the way back together. <laughs> and it worked out cause you guys ended up going to see last action hero in 70 millimeter, which is probably a lot cooler. Um, the way back is good. Ben Affleck is, I think really good in it. You know, so much of the movie is informed by his recent, uh, struggles with addiction, uh, which he's been talking about in the promotion leading up to the film. And so it's very hard to divorce yourself from that knowledge while watching the movie. But I actually think it it, it makes the movie better. Um, as a basketball movie, it's kind of just okay. Um, he, you know, starts coaching a ragtag team and turns them good practically overnight just by, I don't know, yelling at them a little bit. Or it, it was a little bit like what you guys said about hardball. Yeah. Where it was like he just says stuff to them and all of a sudden they're a better team. It's implied, uh, the movie doesn't have a huge interest in sports or in basketball because it is definitely implied that like he understands the game really well because he himself was a star athlete in high school. So he starts coming up with new plays and new strategies, but a lot of that happens in like montage. So you don't really get a sense of how he turns the team around just that he does. Um, it follows, you know, an unfortunate number of cliched beats, but it's very well made. Gavin O'Connor's a good director. Uh, and like I said, I really liked the Ben Affleck performance. I know, you know, it's you have to be careful what you say about almost anybody in the public eye these days, but I am always rooting for Ben Affleck. Um, I'm always hoping that he, he, he realizes, you know, his potential or that he finds that thing, I, you know, varying states of... Success. I know he's been in a, in a professional and personal funk for a while, so I'm, yeah. I was glad to see the trailer and kind of say, "All right, well, maybe that'll be his uh, well, his way back." Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I, I was I I want to. It's one of those things where it's like I want to see it, but also I almost kind of feel like I already know where it's going to go, so I don't know if I necessarily like. Is it? You said it was more or less running on rails of, of these kinds of movies. Is there anything you would necessarily recommend about it? Aside from his performance, um, not necessarily. And, and, and like I said, it is well made. Okay. Um, but if you've seen a lot of sports dramas, 
it's only half interesting. It's like half of a sports movie and half of like an alcoholism drama. And I'm not a huge fan of either subgenre. Um, there's just enough of each, I think, to satisfy people who like those kinds of movies and not enough of either one to turn me off. Got it. All right. Here's the question, though. Um, do I buy The Accountant on Blu-ray for four ninety nine from Amazon? Yeah. I haven't okay. seen The Accountant, but yeah. Okay. All right. Good. Uh, That's all I need. As long as it's not, what's the movie he directed? Uh, Live by Night. Live by Night. <laughs> Just him in ill-fitting suits. It was bad. That it was. was a it's a really bad movie. <laughs> it's a really bad movie. That was like one of our first reserve seatings. I think that was like the first like. I think it was the first month or two of a reserve seating. Okay. Yeah, you know, uh, it's kind of a sharp fall off from. Uh, Argo to live by night. What did you think of? I'm sure you've talked about it. I'm just forgetting. But what did you think of Triple Frontier? I still haven't watched Triple Frontier. I meant to after okay. Adam put it on his list, and perhaps yeah. I will finally do that uh, during quarantine. But I still haven't seen it. Okay. Yeah. No. Let me know what you think because it's it's well. Just let me know what you think because I don't want to go too much into it. But I think it's an interesting. It's kind of one of those things where you think you know what he's doing in it, and then it does something else. Okay. Um. Yeah. Let me know. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, we also. Uh, taking advantage of the Amazon Prime Cinema at Home watched what is Blood, this, an Bloodshot. Oh, man. <laughs> Which I was so ready to be all in on Bloodshot. I like Vin Diesel in dork mode. Like, I like Riddick Vin Diesel. I like, I even kind of like Babylon AD, which is a movie no one likes. Wow. Um, I even kind of like it. So I was ready for like the dorkiest Vin Diesel movie. And man, this movie was not good. Um, yeah. It's not, no, it's really not. It's uh, it weirdly uh, borrows a lot plot wise from a movie. I just watched the other day called universal soldier day of reckoning. Um, but in a way less interesting way. And it feels very Sony. <laughs> the effects, oh, oh, the man. effects are just a lot of CG nonsense. Vin Diesel disappears for large chunks of the movie, um, and even when he's on screen, you know, he's just—he's not. I don't know. Vin Diesel like thinks he can only do one thing now, so everything is a variation on Dominic Toretto, and I kind of miss like early Vin Diesel when he was a little bit lighter and seem to be having fun on screen. And at no point in Bloodshot does he seem to be having fun. The character's pretty uninteresting. There's one decent sequence where he attacks like a convoy of bad guys. Um, and it's an okay action sequence. Again, undone by too much CG nonsense, but it's, a, it's an okay sequence. Uh, and almost everything after that, I think the movie kind of falls apart. Not that it was that great, before that point, but I was still relatively on board and everything after that just completely loses me. So, uh, yeah, big, big disappointment for bloodshot. So it needed more Vin Diesel is what you're saying. I mean, maybe, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Cause I, we I rewatched Riddick recently and I still really like that movie, even though the effects have not held up at all, especially when you watch it on Blu-ray, um, the effects, you could tell that it's like a really kind of low budget affair, um, but I still really like it. And I, that's all I wanted. I wanted this to be like as good or almost as good as Riddick. 
and it's it's not even as good as Babylon AD. Oh, it's 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 almost hard to go wrong with a movie that agrees with Vin Diesel that Vin Diesel is awesome. Right. Um, but that's a disappointing. All right, so this, all right, so let me ask you this: uh, this or uh, Bloodshot or The Last Witch Hunter? Oh, I still haven't seen The Last Witch Hunter. Oh man, okay. that's another dorky Vin Diesel that I missed, and I actually like checked it out from my local library. And my week-long rental ran out, and I had to return it without having watched it because uh, lately I've just had so much stuff to watch, like four podcasts and four articles or other yeah. podcasts that I've guest spotted on. Um, it's hard to sneak stuff in that I want to watch. Luckily, I snuck in Bloodshot, but I still have not seen The Last Witch Hunter, which, which I'm embarrassed about, I'll be honest. I, I think you should rectify that as soon as possible. I, don't know. I, I intend to. I want to watch because I recently... I got that like Riddick three pack or whatever on Blu-ray yeah. somewhere. I got to watch that. I haven't watched it yet. I, I, I sent a picture to you guys a couple of weeks ago. Cause I, I was excited to find it for like $5, but I have not gone back and rewatched any of those yet. Maybe I'll make a point to do that soon. Have you seen all of them before? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I haven't, well, I haven't seen the animated. It comes with an animated movie too. There's uh, a, no, I haven't rec- seen that last witch hunter, by the way, also $5 on Amazon on Blu-ray. Do it. It's worth five dollars. <laughs> All right. It's worth five dollars. I'll send it to you. I'll send it to you with a with with groceries. All right. It's fine. Um, Added to cart. Do it. So do you're going to watch the accountant. I'm going to watch yep. the last witch hunter. We will have spent a total of ten dollars. <laughs> Look in these times of crisis, <laughs> which is half of what I spent to to, <laughs> to own rent. Bloodshot digitally. I own oh, it, by the way. It. You own it. Yeah, some of them, like The Hunt and The Invisible Man, were $20 rentals, but The Wayback and Bloodshot oh, okay. were both purchases for uh, $20. Birds of, Prey, Birds of Prey was a $20 purchase, too, right? That is worth it. Oh, totally worth it. Absolutely. I was listening to, I think, Junk Food Cinema, and they were talking about how it was a $20 purchase, um, yeah. which is a great pur- I mean, I'm going to wait till the Blu-ray, but um, yeah, me too. That's, a totally, that's totally worth it. Um, I think Sonic, right, so Sonic on- the Hedgehog just showed up on there, too. Okay, I haven't done any of that stuff yet. I haven't gone on Amazon and looked at any of the new releases yet. Yeah. Um. Uh. I guess I, I guess I'm gonna have to do that. I do. I, I don't know. See, I I don't know if twenty dollars is 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 a bloodshot price point for me. But I feel like if I'm gonna own it, no, then maybe. No. But no. I also don't have a no. digital library. Like so. Right. If I if my digital library is just bloodshot. Yeah. <laughs> like, Mine is uh the way back bloodshot and pitch goddamn perfect. <laughs> Because it was three ninety nine to rent and four ninety nine to buy, and I said, "Fuck it, maybe I'll be desperate another day." You're a smart man, Patrick. You know what you're doing. <laughs> uh, hey, also, the not, Adventurer: not Curse of the Midas box. I'm going to buy that digitally as well. Do it. It's totally worth it. Um, do not Michael, buy Bloodshot digitally. Michael Sheen dresses up as a, a Russian magician at one point, uh-huh. and. Uh, a, a, a crucial plot point is that you don't recognize that it's Michael Sheen wearing a rubber nose. You like uh, to see me pull rabbit out of hat? You're quoting from the film. You don't even need to watch it now because that's literally what happens in oh, get out of town. The Adventurer colon Curse of the Midas Box. This is a real movie. Um, why did you rent it? Because I hate myself. <laughs> <laughs> Just feel like there had to be something else at the red box. I still haven't. I still haven't you seen spent Terminator. Twenty dollars on Bloodshot. <laughs> <laughs> I did, but uh, I I really hoped it would be a secret Vin Diesel success. 
Oh, but it, it was not. It was Bloodshot. Wait. Oh, well. He was in Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk? Yes, he was, which I did not see. I've never seen. Yeah. yeah. No. It does make me want to rewatch Triple X, The Return of Xander Cage, though. That's a stupid movie. It's a stupid movie that I would watch. Oh, it's got, it's got your girl in it. It's got my girl in it. It's got Ruby yeah. Rose. Yeah, yeah. it does. Yeah. Uh, no, it's a stupid movie that's very entertaining. Like, if that if Bloodshot oh. was Triple X, The Return of Xander Cage, I'd be all in on Bloodshot. But it's not. It's not. It, Bloodshot really is Bloodshot. Split- are they really going to split the last Fast and Furious into two movies? Assuming they still make movies, I read <laughs> I read a thing that there was like there was some rumors that they might be splitting it up. That we might get eleven Fast and Furious movies. Uh, sure. Why wouldn't they? I mean, we're getting we're getting Hobbs and Shaw too. Thank goodness. Um, which I'm excited about. Uh, if it's a sequel to the first forty minutes, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of terrible sequels, let's talk about Pitch Perfect. <laughs> I've not seen any of the uh, Pitch Perfect sequels. This is the only You're Pitch Perfect I have seen. You're fine. Okay. I envy your pure soul. I know in one of them they're like jumping out of planes and there's explosions and shit. Yeah, that's Pitch Perfect 3. That movie's a big pile of shit. I uh, just, I can't quite. It's like when they go from stealing DVD players uh, in Fast and Furious to uh, dropping cars out of airplanes in Fast 7. But don't you get it, Patrick, that the joke is that Rebel Wilson plays a character named Fat Amy and that it would be funny if a person who was overweight was jumping out of an airplane. I guess that would be funny. Wouldn't that be hysterical? So in a text, you said to me, this was your white whale podcast. Yes. Why? (laughs) (laughs) Because it's a movie that I really love that I know that no one else would care about that that you would not be interested at all in doing a podcast on that i'd have to basically spend this hour defending and i said one day i'm gonna do it you know it's been a couple years now and i i i I was like you know you asked me the other day hey you want to do a show and i was like all right you know what i think this is going to be the time i think we're just cabin fevered enough i think we're just you know desperate for connection enough we're just generous enough we're just gathering together is humanity enough for Patrick to say okay to a pitch perfect podcast. You did it. You waited for a global pandemic and you, <laughs> you timed it just right. You literally said to me, fuck it, let's do it. <laughs> and I appreciate that. I do want I do want to thank you for this because I know I know listen, I know damn well that this movie has its fans. I know damn well that this movie has detractors. I know damn well that people find Anna Kendrick and Rebel Wilson and Adam Levine annoying as hell, and I totally sympathize and I get it. Um, but there has always been something about this first movie. Um, the, the sequels, you can just take them. I'm, I, I appreciate that Elizabeth Banks got an opportunity to direct the second one. I think that's awesome. Um, but um, they are just not good movies. Um, this is a movie that... Um, is a sports movie for people who don't necessarily like sports movies. Um, it's, it's, it's got kind of some things to say about to me anyway, what it means to even be a character in a movie. We'll talk about that later on. Um, it is just a movie that I have not really necessarily been able to shake. Um, and it is, it, and I mean this sincerely, it is not just because I have a crush on Anna Kendrick. I mean, I do, I, I find her captivating. This is my favorite role of hers. Um, I, I, I mean, you know, on, uh, Up in the Air is great. I know she does a lot of musicals and stuff, but this is kind of the role that I always associate her with. Um, 
I do. I just. I genuinely think that a couple things aside that we'll get into, this movie does the things right that it needs to do right. Um, I've. I've. Believe it or not, I've. I've taught this film. I've used this as a teaching tool in my film class. So when I was when I was talking about act structure, I would do a whole unit on like, on. Um, hero's journey and act structure and stuff like that. And I would try to break it up, you know, cause you could use star Wars and you could use this, you could use that. Um, I've, so I've, I've taught this, I've had students write papers about pitch perfect. Um, believe it or not. Uh, so I get it. Um, I know that I'm going to be in the hot seat here trying to defend why you're listening. If you are listening, still listening to a pitch perfect podcast, but I'm, I'm hoping I got, I got some notes. I'm hoping to do it justice, but, um, you gotta, you gotta rip the bandaid off. You gotta tell me what what it was like to watch because you've been very polite so far. You haven't really said anything. I want to know what it was like for you to watch Pitch Perfect. I don't even hate Pitch Perfect. I just struggle to understand your love for Pitch Perfect. But again, that's one of the things that I like about being a movie fan is other people love things that you don't, and you sort of just have to give yourself over to that and say, "Well, that's great," because I have these movies that I love that just the other day we did a thing on Twitter. Um, it was my birthday and Erica had suggested that, well, nobody can get out of the house. People have been asking to do another F this movie fest. Usually you watch movies for your birthday. What if we combined those things and we watch movies on Twitter for your birthday? And I said, okay. And kind of scrambled to choose a lineup and I wanted to choose stuff that fit met all the requirements that I always have to meet, you know, which is like, I want them to be personal to me. I want them to be kind of underrated. In this case, I wanted most of them to be available streaming. And so I chose stuff like a couple of big swings. When you're asking other people to watch, I chose avatar and I chose an Albert Pune movie called nemesis. Now I think nemesis is probably one of the most accessible Albert Pune movies, even though it makes no goddamn sense, but I was asking people to watch it and even if they didn't like it, I was asking them to accept that I love it. Right. And you're just kind of putting yourself out there. And that's what I was thinking when I was watching pitch perfect was, okay, I don't love this movie for some reason. There's something in me that feels a degree of cynicism about this movie. And I try to be, I try not to be a cynical movie watcher. Um, but there's something about, the whole acapella thing that conjures up some cynicism in me. And I don't know why that is. And I know that that's a flaw on my part, not a fault of the movie. Um, so it's not that I hate it. I was just trying to find the way in, in terms of what is it that you love about the movie? Because honestly, the thing that I was thinking for so much of the movie was a couple of weeks ago, we rewatched bring it on uh, because my daughter was like on a cheerleading kick and we're like, well, she could watch this little cheerleading movie minus the jokes about, you know, cheerleaders getting fingered and stuff. Uh, and pitch perfect reminds me so much of bring it on both in sort of its structure in the tone of its comedy, uh, in the way that it tries to codify this culture whether, you know, in, in that movie, it's cheerleading culture here, it's acapella singing culture. Um, I find similarities in both of the movies and I think both movies are fine. You know, like they're neither one is really a movie for me. Um, so I'm, I'm more curious as to why you love it. Yeah. And I think it's, it's, it's good to 
you know, when, whenever we do those marathons and stuff like that, there are always things where it's there. So much of it is connected to the way we feel about the person. Like we're watching the movies for, you know, if we're watching movies for your birthday, then it's like, well, Patrick loves this. And we're doing that. You know, I have movies like that with friends. I have movies that with like Adam where it's like, Oh, I'm watching this movie through, you know, Adam Risky's eyes or whoever, you know? And, and, um, I, I, it is odd that I guess I want to say it's odd that I am so sort of connected to this movie, but, um, I guess I'll just kind of go off from the beginning. So, so for one, I think it's incredibly well structured. Um, there are moments where it falls from that, but you know me, I'm a story guy. I like setups and callbacks and things like that. Um, I like the, its use of music. Um, I don't know even how many, I guess people remember Glee, right? There was that whole Glee, that the whole thing on Fox with that show Glee. And this kind of rose up in the, in the wake of that. And I wrote this movie off immediately as, Oh, this is just a big studio trying to capitalize on the success of Glee. The movie takes a big shot at Glee in the first 25 minutes or so. It takes several shots at it um, throughout the movie. Um, I was certainly I when, when Glee was first on, it was oh they're singing and stuff like that. And eventually, it just became this thing where it was well, what song is popular this week? Let's write it into the uh, let's write it into the show. And then Glee got boring and stuff like that. Um, to me, Pitch Perfect knows that music um, is a part of the structure of a film. It's part. It's the it's a way to convey theme. Um, and even if it's just frustratingly on the nose sometimes even if that whole last you know performance is kind of well this is every character singing a song that connects to their journey like i i like that stuff um even if it's not necessarily intellectually challenging it's like oh this is a movie that's like doing a thing um in a way that is at least as intelligent as possible within the confines of the genre so um to start off it is it is uh, based on a book which i still have not read i keep meaning to um about a real life um collegiate acapella uh group um uh, it's called pitch perfect the quest for collegiate acapella glory by mickey rapkin i haven't read it um importantly though it's 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 written um the screenplay is written by Kay cannon um, who is a, a relatively i think pretty prolific uh tv writer she does um She's done 30 Rock. She did New Girl. Um, she's done uh, – she, she wrote, I think, this one and the sequel. Um, I think she had a hand in the third one as well. But um, she's a great TV writer, and I think I'm just – I'm very up on her um, her sense of humor. I think there's a there's that kind of cutesy, kind of snarky comedy that to a degree I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of. Um, it can go too far in some places, but looks like she's already also done a show called Girl Boss, which I've never seen. Um, but I'm a big fan of – 30 Rock. Um, I've actually I just started watching New Girl. I really like it. Um, and I like that kind of style of humor. And you can always tell in the movie when we're going off the script for improv, which I'll get to later because that's a big problem. The, the Rebel Wilson, Adam Devine sort of improv scenes are I, – I, we should get rid of them because <laughs> I don't like them. Um, but um, – th- the big thing for me is the structure. Um, I like that it plays in the genre tropes. Um, it, it, like I said, it's kind of a sports movie. It's like a bring it on. It's a competition movie um, that does those things while also um, kind of making time for the characters. Um, I like each. I like each each character the way that for the first half of the movie they are sort of playing into movie tropes they're playing into movie characters there's jokes about being fat there's jokes about being gay there's jokes about this there's jokes about that and the movie is kind of is kind of poking that bear a little bit but at the same time um 
it's 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 commenting on it as well like the the jesse character is this movie you know he's this sort of john hughes kind of uh he's like a manic pixie dream boy kind of thing where he's kind of talking about you know movies being great and movies do this and movies do that and the music can bring you up and all that and and to me as i'm watching the movie i'm going okay well that's the movie kind of making a comment about itself and it's telling you sort of what what it's what its goals are what its expectations are and so when i when i hear that i'm watching the movie and i'm thinking of the songs, the songs that they're choosing to use, right? They're not just using songs that go well together in a in a medley. They're choosing songs that comment on the character. And then we get into things like, you know, at the end of the movie when they all band together and they all decide that they're going to actually get to know each other. And the whole joke of um, Esther Dean's character being gay is sort of just thrown away. And then it's Rebel Wilson's character who's made to look like a fool for drawing attention to it. You know, so so it's this things where I feel like the movie is 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 I don't want to say smarter, but a little bit more clever and a little bit more kind of on its toes than it, it than it often gets credit for because it knows what it's doing. It knows that acapella is stupid. Um, it knows that um, the character tropes that it's uh, leaning on for a lot of the movie are regressive and are kind of not... I don't want to say that the movie doesn't get comedy out of it because it certainly does, but I, to me, I feel like it's aware of it and it does it in a way that's productive. Um, by the end, um, to me, the thing I always think about this is that um, acapella is dumb to us, but it's important to them. Um, and that's where the Becca character comes in. Becca knows from the beginning that acapella is stupid. She thinks it's dumb. She's cynical about everything. Her whole thing is that she's, she distances herself emotionally. Her song is titanium. The whole idea is that you're not going to get to me. Um, and they're all, you know, they're all broken people. They're all everybody who digs in as deep as possible into this acapella thing, they're all broken in the way that, you know, that a lot of us are broken. Um, you know, TV, uh, I, my, my favorite comedy is community, Dan Harmon's show community. And my favorite thing about community is that everybody on that show, the, the core cast is all kind of a social reject and not in the way of like, Oh, like society sucks. Like everybody is trying to do better. Everybody is full of love. Everybody wants to be accepted. Um, and to me in a much more, superficial way pitch perfect kind of does that same thing where this this is a silly subculture this is a silly thing um becca's dad trying to get her to buy in and join up and all that and do these things it'll be fun you'll have fun these people are cool and they're not but what becca realizes by the end is that she can't shut herself off she has to engage with other people by the time um uh, excuse me she has to engage with other people if she wants to get anywhere um and so even though the, the movie is you know obviously not perfect, not you know, cinematic in a, in a, in a big bad way, not this you know genius piece of, of, of cinematic poetry. I think it does the things that it needs to do um, in a way that's more emotionally intelligent than you necessarily, um, it, than it needs to be, if I can put it that way. Um, I, I, you know, I like that she goes from titanium being her song to the end of the movie. It's, it's simple minds. It's don't you forget about me, you know, like little things like that make, it's because it's almost like she's arguing with the fact that she's a movie character. Um, I'm, I'm going all over the place here because I'm feeling a little bit on the spot. Like I kind of have to defend the movie, um, but I have lots of notes. So I, I, I don't know. I just there's the movie is thoughtful in a way that it doesn't necessarily have to be, and and that's something that I appreciate about. It. Okay, all right. Um, uh, you know, I why why is Glee something to be made fun of, but this movie is not. But from the from the movie's language, I'm saying like the right, movie right. is making fun of Glee, but then saying, "But we're cool." 
Well, it's not necessarily. Uh, oh, all right. So it's saying to me, um, the, there's the comment, um, McLovin, the actor, I can't ever remember his name, uh, makes the comment about how, you know, this is, re- you know, this is real competition. This is not some high school thing where you're feeling sexually awkward. So you sing a song. Um, he, there's also the thing where during the riff off, if you look closely at the spinning wheel, the song selections, one of the selections is songs glee ruined. Right. Um, I think, I think it's kind of making a, making a little comment about itself. It's, it's kind of acknowledging that, that, that quote unquote culture has kind of been, um, it's kind of been, um, uh, appropriated by the mainstream. Um, at that time, I don't necessarily think Glee is anything to be made fun of. Um, I actually really liked the first couple seasons of Glee. Um, I think the show is, uh, the movie is trying to distance itself a little bit, um, from that by, by, I don't know, maybe by making it, just I guess just trying to distance itself and maybe you're right maybe it doesn't necessarily deserve that kind of cool um status I just think that it I think that it helps you earn it in the way that um it helps excuse me the movie earns that uh kind of respect um or it tries to uh in a way that is a little bit less melodramatic and maybe a little less saccharine than Glee maybe that maybe it's like Glee is that kind of thing where you know the office like I love the office but you know it's that it's that Again, a joke from community about how you can basically just cut to somebody explaining a joke and it makes the joke funnier. Right. Um, maybe, maybe that's the comment they were making about Glee. I really don't know. It, it doesn't figure into the. It doesn't figure into the the movie in a huge way. No, not um, at all. I just. Um, no, I get that. I, I I think the movie is trying to set itself apart by knocking something else down. Right. And I think it kind of flies in the face of what the rest of the movie is trying to say about how we should be as people. I struggle a little bit with some of the comedy uh, as you were talking about, because I think it, it tries to walk a line between being progressive, but I also think it's regressive at the same time. I, you know, I think it totally. And so it wants, again, it tries to score points with the stuff like fat Amy with the stuff like, um, who's the, 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 the gay character, uh, Esther Dean's character. Yeah. Esther Dean's character. Yeah. Um, or with Stacy, you know, being so sex positive. And so, but every joke is like, she's a slut and every joke about, Esther Dean's character is like just a tiny bit homophobic, right? Until she reveals that she has a girlfriend or had a girlfriend rather. And I do agree that like the punchline about like, I have a bad gambling problem um, is kind of funny. You know, it's funny enough, Uh, but same with the fat Amy. It's like, okay, so the movie tries to get out in front of it by having her say, I'm trying to get out in front of it. But then it's still just like these are jokes about like, haha, isn't it funny because she's bigger and we're seeing her do this. And you even mentioned that in Pitch Perfect 3, which <clears throat> is not fair. <clears throat> I can't judge this movie by things that Pitch Perfect 3 does. But I think that there are things that this movie has her do that are meant to be funny just because she's bigger. Um, but at the same time, trying to be sort of body positive by having her refer to herself as Fat Amy. But nobody else makes fun of her, though. That's the, to me, that's the difference. But the, the difference movie kind of does. Get, the characters don't. But I think the movie does a little bit. But I think that she retains the. I think. But see, I think it's when you're saying it, you're out in front of it. Um, so I don't necessarily think that. 
I don't necessarily think that she doesn't like the, the movie is definitely playing it both ways, like with um, with Esther Dean's character, because it does make these really awkward sort of homophobic jokes and it does put them in in Rebel Wilson's mouth. I I, I kind of feel like the movie is taking shots at Rebel Wilson a little bit, taking shots at the fat Amy character because she does eventually kind of in that in that scene of the, the sort of confession scene before the third act, like they do kind of she kind of makes a comment about how she's um an open book and she she likes being called fat amy but she's still lying and she says oh, i'm actually my name's actually fat patricia you know, which to me is another kind of like a double inversion on the joke where it's which like, is oh, yeah I that's a it. that's a decent joke too yeah so so to me it's almost like yes you know we were maybe we were laughing at her but we were i don't want to say we were wrong to but um because i know the movie can't play it both ways that's not fair you can't get a joke and say well your audience was wrong to laugh but I do feel like even that joke is somebody projecting their insecurity about themselves. Somebody who supposedly has no insecurities is still projecting an insecurity onto somebody else um, and then still ends up having something to reveal at the end. Um, so I agree with you that the movie is, is definitely playing it both ways and trying to have its cake and eat it. But also like and maybe it's because I've seen Pitch Perfect 10,000 times where I kind <laughs> of have that thing where, yeah, I know, um, where I kind of have that thing where I can kind of buy into it a little bit more. Or I can kind of see the see the seams a little bit more. And I, and I say, you know, because Esther Dean has to choose to be in this film, right? Um, Esther Dean, by the way, brilliant, brilliant pop song writer. I don't know if you if you know anything about Esther Dean at all. She's written hundreds of songs. She wrote the Rihanna song S&M that she's singing um, okay. in, in the riff off. Okay. Um, the, uh, I might, you know, it might be bad, but I'm perfectly good at it. She right, wrote right. that song in real life. She wrote that for Rihanna. Um, so she chooses to be in the movie, right? And she chooses to she chooses to to play this character. Um, and so I'm wondering if you know if maybe she felt kind of the same thing with Rebel Wilson, where it's like, yes, but at least I'm I'm kind of owning it, or at the very least, I can throw it away at the end with that joke. Right. Um, but, I, but I totally agree that there's a, there, there's a, there's a problem, right? Oh, well, because you're gay, that means you can't keep your hands to yourself or because you're sex positive, that means you're a slaughter because you're, you know, well, I'm fat Amy, so I'm fat and that's the joke. I, I do maintain that Pitch Perfect 3 does it a lot worse. Um, I do stand by my review of Pitch Perfect 3 because the way that it rides the line in Pitch Perfect, uh, it's completely just garbage in Pitch Perfect 3. They're just these non sequiturs about her being fat and it doesn't have anything to do with her character, anything to do with her self-esteem or anything like that. Um, but um, to me, it's it's it, the film is illustrating how much the girls need to stop looking for differences and start embracing similarities. You know, that whole kind of discordant nature of being a singing group, the whole discordant nature of one of them kind of running the show and, and not allowing for anybody else to have a uh, have a, a, an opinion, not allowing for them to gel the whole idea of the songs um, they're not just singing one song. They're singing medleys and remixes together of all these different songs from all these different styles. They're embracing that at the end. You know, they, they take those sort of um, the outfits, the sort of homogenous kind of flight attendant outfits, and they all, at the end, they're all wearing their own clothes, but they're still wearing the headbands or they're still wearing the scarves. You know, they're all wearing the scarf in a different way. And, and, and like I said, it's, it's not super academic, you know, in its, in its symbolism, but I do think that's enough. Um, and I think that the movie, to me, gets away with stuff that rides a line of crassness or, or kind of regression because it at least is aware that it's doing it. Like to me, the um, the the two commentators, um, Elizabeth Banks and um, John Michael Higgins. What's his name? John Michael Higgins. Yeah. Um, the whole all the jokes about him being a misogynist and all the jokes about women not being able to sing and all that. The movie, I feel like, kind of throws that out there at the beginning um, in order to kind of safeguard itself to kind of keep keep one foot on the other on the other end. Right. Um, 
it might not work. It, it doesn't work. You know, it's definitely not going to work for everybody. I'm not going to say that it's necessarily the most forward-thinking movie, but um, I think that the movie, to me, earns that when it gets to the end. Um, and because Fat Amy is always high status, she's always she always has the, you know, it's it's always it's always it's always her. You know, even um, Aubrey is when she gives her shit for, um, you know, uh, being lazy or, or I'm sorry, it's Chloe who gives her a bunch of shit for being uh being being lazy or being this or not exercising or not doing this like we kind of have reason to make fun of her too you know they're all flawed like go back to the thing i said about the beginning is that they're all flawed they're all looking for community they're all looking for acceptance um and the music that they make together kind of allows that you know so um is there a is there a particular thing you do like um there's something that the movie does that I appreciate. I mean, the, you know, like the arrangements of the music are clever and the performances are generally fine, you know. Um I appreciate that it calls the Anna Kendrick character out on her bullshit a little bit and yeah. doesn't just make everyone conform to her. Um, as being the one who's smart and knows exactly what they should do. I mean, she does in terms of like, we need to be a little bit more modern. We need to change the kinds of songs that we're doing, but it's not like she comes in and just shakes everything up and changes everybody for the better. Um, it calls her out on her bullshit a little bit. And another movie that it makes me think of that I like better than this movie, I'm sorry to say is, uh, the comedy role models, from mm. like 2010 or something like that. Um, and I don't know if it's because role model speaks to things that I'm into a little bit more as like a dorky male, uh, as opposed to acapella singing. But what I like th- that role models does is it spends three quarters of the movie kind of inviting us to laugh at the live action role playing community saying like, this is goofy, right? Look what these guys are doing. And this is all a little bit silly or the music of kiss, you know? Um, and then the last quarter of the movie turns you around and says, but actually this is awesome. And like, you know, embraces the sincerity of it all. Um, and pitch perfect, I think tries to do that. I, for me, it doesn't do it as successfully. And again, it may just be a question of tastes in terms of the things that I'm into, because I don't know that, anything is ever going to totally win me over when it comes to acapella singing, which is an impressive skill and I'm not knocking acapella singing at all. It's just never going to be this thing that I'm totally into. Um, It tries to do that. I think with the Anna Kendrick character by having her kind of turn around and say like, Oh, you know what? It's actually really nice having friends. And I actually really like all of you and kind of sheds her of that ironic distance and embraces sincerity in a way. Now, I don't know that the grand finale wins me over to where I think like, Oh, this is totally awesome. The way that the finale of role models does, but I think it tries and it gets part of the way there. And I give it credit for doing that. I don't. Yeah. And I agree with you. Um, I would, I would say this does do this about as well as role models because I'm not into acapella singing either, but, but again, kind of what I said before, which is that like, it makes me, understand that they are um it makes me understand that they care about it it makes me understand that it's important to them um and 
you know that that carries me maybe oh, across the finish line that you, that you can't quite get get over either. Um, I mean, yes, I like music. I like you know I like the arrangements that they do. I like the Breakfast Club. Obviously, I like the end of the movie. I like the. Um, oh, we got to talk about the Breakfast Club. Yeah, uh, I like the Skylar Aston moment at the end, where his his character uh, uh, gives the Judd Nelson. Um, you know, which we have to talk about this whole movie thing, how she doesn't like movies as if that's a thing that human beings um, <laughs> do. Um, but I, I would argue, I would agree with you totally about role models and that it takes this thing that isn't necessarily a thing that we should care about and, and sells us on the fact that no, but it means a lot to them. Um, you know, in that literal atonement with the father moment that Becca has with her dad, where she talks to him about, you know, well, I'm still hurt from your divorce. And he's like, look, get over it. He's like, that's not about you. I mean, he doesn't say it like that, but he right, says like, right. look, I always tried to do right by you. And there was nothing that I was going to be able to do to, 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 to fix this. There's nothing reasonable. Like you have to find a way to, to, to get along with it. You know, you have to find a way to move on. Um, and you know, I, 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 I would agree that the movie doesn't necessarily sell you on acapella either. Um, um, but I do think that it does enough to make you think that it's important to them. Um, should we talk for a second about this whole Jesse is a John Hughes character thing and all that? I mean, sure. He's a John Hughes character in what way? Well, I mean, I mean he's a John Hughes like fanboy. Like he's a, he's a, he's a, I, I said manic pixie dream boy before he's kind of the, the guy who comes in and he's whimsical and, and he wants things to have bigger meaning and he's always trying to get on her good side. And he's saying like, Oh, movies are great. Music is great. Everybody should, you know, we should, we should get along and how come you don't like me? And, um, the whole idea of Becca not liking movies because the endings are predictable and then basically becoming a movie character at the end. And it's sort of accepting that, um, is kind of silly, but to me it also, fits in with the overall theme that the movie is kind of going for, which is the perils of ironic distance. The idea that you should kind of buy in, like it is okay to buy in. Sometimes you know, a, a genre trope is okay. Sometimes a tradition is okay. Sometimes an expected ending is okay, you know? Um, and allowing yourself to be comfortable with that, I think is an important part of what makes the characters work. I want to come back to the Jesse character in just a second, but as a story fan, do you take issue at all with the two enormous shortcuts that this movie takes? The first being that the one kid is a high school student and therefore their team is disqualified. And the other being Adam Devine being asked to sing backup on a John Mayer album and therefore being able to just exit the movie so that what's his name can come in. Well, of course I take 20, I, I take uh, umbrage against the 25 minutes of this movie that are devoted to fat Amy getting hit with a burrito too, you know, but <laughs> Uh, I just, no, I just mean in terms of character structure, I don't necessarily mean in terms of like, Oh, this is back to the future. Like this is an airtight <laughs> plot. I don't, I don't mean that way. What I mean is that from the character journey's perspective, from the character's perspective of, you know, here I am in the world of common day. I have a problem. Okay. I cross a threshold. I go here. I, I face this. I face myself. I atone with it. I go back and I've changed. I've done something different at the end. You know, that, that sort of circle model, like of, of characterization of the way a person can go into an environment. Um, and be changed by it, I, I think in a McDonald's y, Wendy's y kind of very mainstream pedestrian way, I think the movie pulls that off. Yeah. The 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 it, difference in comparison between this and Bring It On is that in this movie Brittany Snow is sort of the Kirsten Dunst character and yeah. we're watching the movie through the Eliza Dushku character's eyes. Totally. Otherwise otherwise they're almost identical characters. Uh which brings me to Jesse 
who is the Jesse Bradford character in uh, in Bring It On. The difference, of course, being in that movie, he's the brother of the cynical, sarcastic one. In this movie, he's the love interest. Right. Um, I've never liked the Jesse Bradford character in Bring It On for a lot of reasons. One, because he's the Manic Pixie Dream Boy, and two, because the movie takes all these obnoxious, easy shortcuts to tell us that he loves cool music. So it puts him in a clash t-shirt and it's like this generic idiot shorthand for, uh, Oh, he's the cool punk rock one. Cause he's wearing a clash t-shirt. And I think this movie does the equivalent of that, but with a character who loves movies and of course, I'm going to take greater offense to it because that's <laughs> where my passion is. So it's like, if you're going to have a character who loves movies in a movie, like I want to feel like movie fans are being represented and not have the guy be like, I love movies. Um, Rocky and Star Wars <laughs> uh, and Jaws. Like, we got to pick Universal films, Patrick. You gotta <laughs> well, no, I, I, well, listen, Star Wars and, uh, well, Star Wars, yeah, and sure. Rocky are not. But Breakfast right. Club is, and that's the one that we get the most play from. So, yeah. uh, Because everything else he's talking about film scores. And then randomly he brings in the Breakfast Club to talk about soundtracks. Right. Otherwise he's talking about scores. And that's fine. Like he says, I want to write film scores and these movies have the best, most memorable film scores. And that is true. And I would be equally annoyed if this movie had him go all deep cuts, you know, like to show off how much he knows. So it's a really hard thing. And I'm holding the movie to an impossible standard. Again, I recognize that. I hope people listening understand that, like, I'm aware of the things that I'm complaining about. I'm not like saying this without any sense of self-awareness because... Um, I think about a show like Community that you brought up earlier, where the references on Community always felt like they came from a really honest place. Right. And we could identify with a character like Abed because he loved movies the same way that we love movies. And it didn't feel like a screenwriter's idea of what a person who loves movies or punk music or whatever, you know, fill in the blank, um, might be. And so Dane Cook pisses me off this whole movie because he's like <laughs> this, he's this generic, I, I find him to be smarmy as an actor anyway, and very self-satisfied. Um, well, hold on. Have you ever, have you watched Crazy Ex-Girlfriend? Yes, I have. Okay. Cause I think he, I think when he comes back as Greg and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, he almost buys right into that smarminess. I think they address it directly, but I agree with you. Continue. Wait, he's Greg on Crazy Ex Girlfriend. He comes back as remember how the the first actor leaves who plays yes. Greg. Oh, I didn't. Was, I didn't finish Crazy Ex Girlfriend. Oh, you should finish it. It's great when he when the character of Greg comes back in the third season or the fourth season. I can't remember which one it is. Um, the last season, he's played by Skylar Aston, and there's a bunch of jokes about how he's a completely different person. Oh, okay. Because that's what Crazy Ex Girlfriend does. Right. Speaking of I which, should... get well soon, Adam Schlesinger. Oh, totally for sure. For sure. That 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 made me very sad today when I read that. Um, anyway, Dane Cook. Dane Cook. So I don't love Dane Cook as an actor. I don't love Dane Cook as a character. I don't love Dane Cook as a construct. Um, <laughs> so I have a hard time with with Dane Cook in this movie. I want that on a t-shirt. I don't love Dane <laughs> Cook as a construct. Patrick probably in this movie. Um, I get it. And I, I, oh, sure, the authenticity problem. Obviously, I have the same problem with it, right? Because I'm like, oh, he's a movie lover and he's going with the most mainstream movies ever. And I'm not that he's I'm got Rocky on DVD, dude. 
He's got juice boxes in Rocky. Easy, um, I know you're home. I smell popcorn, you movie fans. <laughs> all right. And you know your what? popcorn. The movie does not pass muster for authenticity. I understand <laughs> that. But I, I, I again, I want to go back, if I can defend it, I want to go back to the idea that what matters is that the things matter to the characters. And I know you can't necessarily buy into that, but I'm sure an acapella enthusiast would find all kinds of problems with Pitch Perfect, right? Um, you know, when we go to when we go to like Becca, like Becca's thing is remixing. Becca's thing is doing mixes and mashups and things like that. And that's obviously a larger metaphor for the characters and for cooperation, stuff like that. Um, you know, I think as far as the movie fan thing goes, Dane Cook just wants her to, to buy in, to buy into a structure, to buy into a predictable and satisfying outcome, which is this whole thing about endings. And it's going to be okay if you get along with people. You don't have to have ironic distance. Um, so I obviously can't defend your point. I mean, your, your point is well taken. It's, yes, it, it's, this is the Clash t-shirt of movie lovers. Um, but I think in terms of its narrative function, I can forgive it. Yeah, that, listen, that's uh, – I concede to your love of this movie. Yeah. I um, I I think let me put it this way because I'm trying to figure out too your question from the very beginning of the show, which is what is it necessarily that stands out to you? And yeah, you know it's 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 Kay Cannon's writing. Um, there's so many lines in this movie that I just say to myself every day. Like I I just I think that there's lots of I I, I do think it's one of those. It's like a hot rod, or I mean it's not as good as hot rod, but it's one of those like quotable you know things you can kind of say to yourself. Uh, or to others, if you have that. I think fetch. it. I, 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 as somebody who's less a fan of the movie, I sometimes feel like it pushes too hard to be quotable. Oh, for sure. In there the same way that Bring It On does. Again, it reminds yes. me because it's like, oh, somebody grew up on Heather's and right. is trying to do that. And there's Heather's, there's Mean Girls. Like, that's totally, you know, like I, I used to, like I said, when I, when I taught this movie, I would show the Heathers and Mean Girls trailers before this and like, and Clueless as well, where it's like, okay, here's kind of the thing Well, I should probably should have shown them bring it on. But, um, there were things where it was like, okay, this is, this is kind of the model. This is kind of what it's going for. Obviously I, I want to be clear. Heathers, Mean Girls are better movies. Um, but, um, I do think that there are times where it bends over backwards in the wrong way. Um, and that's where it kind of undercuts the whole Akka thing where everything is an Akka pun, um, which, which yes, is horrible. It is terrible, but it's the character's, who are doing it, who are frustrating characters. Like the, the, the idea of it being this sort of cultish, like I love all the jokes at the beginning where they're walking around on campus and the, and the guy, the, the guy says, this is what it means to be a man at this college. And they all just burst into a cappella song, you know? Um, the movie is, 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 is kind of using that. It's kind of using that to disarm the audience a little bit. It's, um, it's putting that, putting those horrible lines into certain characters mouths because it, 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 informs their eventual change you know i mean i can look at something like um <clears throat> aubrey's character uh you know literally just in the end dance when she lets her hair down you know and it's like oh she literally let her hair down you know and, and it's on the nose but it's one of those things where i go oh she went from making stupid aka puns and throwing up and all the vomit stuff is bores me i don't care about that i, I do love the moment where um uh hannah may lee's character does the snow angels and the vomit that's super gross but i think that's playing playing the joke um, it's going as far with the joke as you possibly can. If you're going to make a vomit joke, have a small woman uh, make snow angels in it. Um, but I, you know, I agree largely with, with with a lot of what you're saying, and 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 I'm still going back to this thing. Well, what is it? Is it the K canon writing? Is it is it the, the kind of the cleverness? Um, is it the structure? Is it just Anna Kendrick's presence? Um, 
I, I honestly don't know if I can answer that. I really, I really intended to be able to answer that question today, and I really don't know if I can. Um, not that I necessarily have to either, no, but, you um, but but it was totally my intention to kind of to kind of do that because I I can agree with you about everything um, that you're saying and still kind of just you know hold the movie uh, close to my heart. Yeah, uh, and I really and I and I can agree with you about everything you're saying and still be like, yeah, but you know what I mean. So it's the yeah, yeah but that differentiates us because it's like, yeah, it does those things. Yeah, but I still love it. And I could say, yeah, it does all those things right. Yeah, but I, I'm still left outside of the movie in some way. You had said you wanted to talk about um, the Rebel Wilson, Adam Devine tangents that the movie takes. Yeah, I just, I mean, and again, I, I love this movie, but I totally acknowledge it's got huge problems. Every single time the movie hits the bricks so that one or both of them can ad lib, I, I just, I don't know, to me, I can feel the movie grinding to a halt. There are, there are movies that incorporate ad-libbing um, and improv in really well. Um, I'm actually, like I said, uh, there's a couple shows I'm watching that do that really well. Um, but there are huge moments of this movie where the, all the momentum just stops for the two of them. And you read the IMDb trivia and it's like, oh yeah, they were just cracking up everybody up on the set and all the shit about like mermaid dancing. Like there are times where like the scene clearly ends and then we cut back to Rebel Wilson so she can like bullshit around on the floor. Right. And you're like, come on, just just move on. You know, that to me is where the, the movie breaks its structure. You can tell that that wasn't written. That wasn't set up payoff. That wasn't, you know, a clever line here or a bit of staging here for this or that or a cut to this. It was just, oh, Rebel Wilson's being really funny. Um, let's let's cut to her and then we can throw this in here a little bit later. So that part of the movie really frustrates me. I, I mean, I would, I would, it's nothing against those two actors, but I would, you could take that back. You can take all that out, cut all that out. The movie's long for a comedy. You can cut that out. You can lose 10 minutes. And the sequels are more guilty of that. You said the sequels are more guilty of that because cars, well, cars too. Wow. Okay. I've been watching cars a lot. Um, I was going to bring this up though, because pitch perfect two has the cars Two problem where cars Two uh, has yeah. too much tomato. Right. Uh, pitch perfect two has too much fat Amy. Um, Pitch Perfect 2 is the Fat Amy show, uh, which is just a mistake. Um, again, nothing against Rebel Wilson. She's funny in small doses, but you don't build your movie around her. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's almost always a mistake when 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 those two characters are improving. Um, I just because it's so incongruous with the rest of the comedy in the movie. Um, to me, it's you know again I go back to this kind of that Thirty Rock kind of K Cannon kind of I, you know I would argue to an extent quick wit um, comedy, even though it's still slapsticky. Uh, this stuff grinds it to a halt. So I, I really don't like that at all. And um, I was thinking about what you were saying about the movie calling the Anna Kendrick character out on her bullshit. And do, do you do you find Anna Kendrick to be irritating generally? I find her to be self-satisfied sometimes. Right. Um, and so, that, that grates me. Do, do you feel that the movie, that, that this does a decent enough job at least in small doses to kind of correct that a little bit you mentioned before that it kind of takes her to task on her ironic yeah. bullshit yeah i yeah. think so this is i mean this is really the, the role that i really like you know i associate her most with i like her in up in the air i like when she's sort of when she's doing the quiet awkward um when she's doing when she's clearly having a conversation with herself inside her head um like in up i keep thinking of up in the air when she's sitting there and she's typing and um she and clooney have a exchange that i can't remember but there are little moments of her acting where there is a naturalism to her acting that <clears throat> i do think is is um 
is really good when she's trusting it. I do think that she leans on a kind of performative kind of thing a little bit too much um, in many of her roles. Um, but I do think that when she's given the opportunity to just be a person, I think that's that's when she kind of shines the most. She um, doesn't she doesn't do the thing that that rubs me the wrong way most in this movie, which is I think, and she doesn't do it in Up in the Air. I think in Up in the Air she plays sort of a neurotic, high strung person um, as a person who is neurotic and high strung. And I think as she became more popular and uh, Zoe Deschanel has done this same thing that we could list a whole bunch of actors who became famous for kind of doing a certain thing and then lead into it so hard that it, it became like, aren't I adorable? And it's the aren't I adorableness of Anna Kendrick that sometimes rubs me the wrong way. And I, I don't think she's doing that here. No, I totally agree. And I think there are times where I see her in things that she's doing now. And I, and, and I, a regret it because I'm like, ah, oh, man, come on, she's doing that thing, that, <laughs> right. that thing that you're talking about, where it's right. not verbal. Um, yeah, so I, so I, I can understand, you know, I can understand people who find her distracting. I can understand people who say, you know, well, Rebel Wilson, well, she's just, I think she's, she, she, she comes just close enough to, to, to getting out of hand in this Rebel Wilson, where the director has, or the writer has just enough of a hold on her for her to get her stuff done, and they allow her these little glimpses of nonsense. Almost everything else I've ever seen her in, she seems like it seems like well, she's in control. Oh, she's Seth Rogen, you know, she's going to go off, and we're just going to let her, you know, do whatever. Or she's, you know, she's she's whatever other improving actor you want to throw in there. Oh, you just right. let you know, just put, put the camera. She's the the janitor on Scrubs. Like, oh, just point the camera, and we'll just say something funny, and that'll be great. We'll cut together. Um, plenty of things I've seen her in lose control of her. And I think this movie only just starts to lose control of her during the running time. I feel like the first time I saw this, I had a higher tolerance for the stuff that she does in this movie. Cause I probably saw it. I didn't see it in theaters, but I saw it when it first hit, you know, DVD or Blu-ray. Uh, so I saw it probably back in 2012 or early 2013. And all I really knew her from, I think at that point was like her one scene cameo in bridesmaids. And right. she definitely has a style and a, a sense of comedic timing that is just different enough to make you kind of sit up and say, well, who is that? That She's doing something interesting. And the movie, you know, gives her a little too much leeway, as you just said. Um, but it's hard to go back and watch Pitch Perfect now, having been completely burned out on Rebel Wilson. Or same goes with Adam Devine. Um, having been completely burned out on the thing that they do in all movies in much higher doses, um, it's a lot harder to go back and watch it and feel that kind of new energy because you're just like, oh, God damn it, here's Rebel Wilson doing her Rebel Wilson thing. Um, but maybe that's not fair. you know. Maybe I need to give it the consideration that I gave it the first time I saw it. You know, I'll say this about Pitch Perfect, and I've, I've said it before, and I, I'll say it to you again about Silent Hill. Um, I think the movie really deserves 10 or 12 rewatches before you can really <laughs> start to feel it out, you know, for what it is. For really the, you know, before you can really get on its level. I own it now, so I, I can watch it 12 times. You're going to post it for your birthday next year, and I'm going to see it <laughs> in the basement next at this movie fest. Um but no, I if I you know I know we're kind of we're coming to the end here, and I just wanted to say I, I don't know necessarily that I've done a great job defending the movie. I have tons of notes you don't have to I defend just, it. I, it's okay. But to but to me, one of the things about it is just that 
it's one of those movies that is just clever enough. It knows it's a movie. To me, is well-structured. It does things that sports and competition movies should do. It pokes enough fun at it so that we can know that the movie has to earn it. It's, it's about something as ridiculous as acapella, but by the end, um, unless you're Patrick, you know, by the end, you're kind <laughs> of like, well, I, uh, I, I, I get why they like it. I don't like this, but I get why they like it. You know, I get why it's empowering for them. I get why at the end of the movie, they're all singing, you know, they're singing this medley that's all their own songs in their own style. They're working together. Um, the Anna Kendrick character learns to buy in. Ironic distancing is, you know, cynicism is really easy. Um, and we all know this as teachers, you know, buying into something is a lot more difficult than being cynical about it. It's very easy to just dismiss something and say, this is dumb. And just, but when you actually have to sell it, when you're tasked with selling something to an unwilling audience, um, it does build a fortitude in you that you kind of, I think is kind of character building. Um, um, I think the music is, is is good. Um, in, in the way that it's used, obviously these aren't my, my particular favorite songs, but the way that they're used. Um, to service the characters, that each character has um, a, a kind of a theme, you know, um, in one way or another, or that um, the, the, the songs that are, that are sung are always there to kind of comment on what's going on um, in that way that, to go back to Glee, kind of rides that Glee line without falling into that self-satisfied thing that Glee eventually fell into. Um, but uh, I, I, you know, I, I think I think this movie has enough fans where I won't get completely trashed in the comments. But um, no, if anybody's <clears> going to get trashed, it's going to be me. No, nah, I don't think that's true. Yeah, it'll be um, me for not liking it. Just okay. you did watch. Erica watch this movie? She did not. She watched it with me the first time, and she was in the other okay. room uh, working because she has to be on certain hours for teaching. She did. Yeah. I will say, I don't want to put words in her mouth, but she did at one point say. Listening from the other room, this movie is really irritating. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Take that for what you will. Eric, Eric is getting getting pitch perfect gifts in text form for the rest of the week. That's what's going to happen. So uh, Erica, that will delight her. Be prepared because that's what you're getting. Do you um, have a Do you have a favorite joke in the movie? Uh, it's uh, see. I I am I am partial to when when um I can't remember the character's name the super sexy character talks about her vagina being a dude and okay. Anna Kendrick Stacey, she says she's a hunter Stacy sorry she's sorry Stacy she's, she's the best character in the movie Stacy because S for sex right um she uh when when she mentions you know he's a hunter and and just the look on Andrew Kendrick Andrew Kendrick's face and she says you call it a dude I just for some reason really enjoy that delivery um. I, there are lots of jokes that I enjoy. I, I'd have to look at a list off the top of my head, but there there are certain lines that I that I kind of come back to every now and again. Um, my favorite, my favorite Kendrick joke or my favorite Kendrick line delivery comes after one of my least favorite things, which is the whole thing about you have a toner. Yeah. Which I hate that whole toner thing. I hate when movies try to create new vocabulary. Um, but it's but it's the it's the it's the nerd character. It's the it's the it doesn't matter doing that though. The movie's it's, still trying to make fetch happen. It is. Uh, it's not. It one hundred percent is. But I do like Anna Kendrick saying it's my dick. It's my dick. <laughs> Actually, it's my dick. My favorite joke in the movie is Elizabeth Banks saying nothing like I'm going to mess it up, but nothing <laughs> yeah, makes no. a woman feel like a girl than a man singing like a boy. <laughs> like a boy. Yeah, and that, and that's you know, like I said, there's that little Greek chorus in there that reminds right. us that this is all very silly. Anyway, um, uh, thanks for talking about this movie with me. 
Thanks for allowing me to talk about this movie with you. It was my pleasure. You have to come up with a new white whale now. What's it going to be? I know. I don't know what I'm going to do now. Silent Hill again. I have no idea. I, yeah. I really don't. Um, Silent yeah, Hill, I'll... Josie and the Pussycats, Pitch Perfect. We've, We've done them all. We've done them all. I know. But uh, no, thank you. This was fun. This is a nice, uh, I hope this is a nice diversion for people. I know we're all kind of down right now. <laughs> um, and uh this it made me it made me feel good, Patrick. I appreciate I appreciate this. You're a good friend. I'm glad that I was able to talk about this movie with you today. I'm glad you were able to talk about it with me. You made me appreciate it in new ways. So thank you, and thank, thank you, you guys all for listening. Please make sure you're staying safe, staying indoors, staying healthy. Uh, and we will be back next week. Uh, thanks again, Rob. You're aka welcome, Patrick. God damn it. Thanks for listening to FS Movie.